You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Buenos dias, buongiorno, ni hao, konnichiwa, motherfuckers. Everybody, welcome, one and all, to Abacabo Cafe. This is the English language Kimagure Orange Road podcast. And I want to thank you for tuning in. Today, we're going to be talking all about television episode 44 entitled The Taste of Love, Kyosuke's Hellish Valentine. This episode originally aired February 8th of 1988. It was directed by Matsuzono Hiroshi, who has directed several episodes at this point, starting with the very important episode number five, Problematic Part-Time Job episode. Tremendously important episode. Matsuzono has also directed a couple of foreboding dream episodes, the one where Shikaru dies, the one where Kasuga and Ayukua break up on Tanabata, uh, episode 20, 27, 37, and uh, that was the last episode directed by Matsuzono, it was 37, that's the one where Ayukua skateboards down a building under construction in a blizzard, it makes no sense, she collapses in Kasuga's arms at the end of that episode, it, it makes no sense that Shikaru and Yusaku would just be standing there dancing all happily while your best friend collapses in your boyfriend's arms. It doesn't seem weird, but nobody asks any questions. That was the most recent episode directed by Matsuzono. This episode was written by Terada Kenji. Shocking, I know, but he's back this week. Terada has now written 20 episodes in this series, so that's almost half and most recently, Terada wrote the episode with the Kaiju Jingoro. That's episode 40, the wild episode that really took a, a different direction on the characters because they were all playing roles. They were playing a part in a student film directed by Komatsu and Hatta. Importantly, we're back to normal after that last episode. So after episode 43, which is such a stylistic departure, not necessarily narratively a departure. When you look at the storyline, the plot beats, they're pretty similar to most Orange Road episodes, but the way that the 
the way that the episode was constructed with the film language was just so tremendously different uh, stylistically that it it really was quite, uh, I think, jarring, and it stands out amongst the rest of the Orange Road episodes because here in this episode, we're back to a more standard filmmaking technique, something that we're a little bit more accustomed to as Orange Road fans. Our opening shot shows Kasuga maintaining some good dental hygiene that has some significance on this episode. It makes it seem like he's getting ready for something, like a date or something like that, but it also contrasts with Kazuya's poor oral health and impending dentist visit. So it's appropriate that we open the episode with Kasuga brushing his teeth. It's thematically relevant. It's at this point that Kasuga recalls Ayukawa's thinly veiled desire to spend Valentine's Day with Kasuga. Her pretense is that she needs help at Abakabu, but that's obviously a pretense. I mean, it's not like Abakabu is hopping at all. The place is pretty dead, right? Now, February 14th of 1988 was a Sunday, so I suppose that the day is even more important because all of the characters will be off school that day. It's like a romantic day, but then it's also a day off of school. It's an opportunity for them to spend time together, and that's exactly what Ayukawa wants to do. Ayukawa, in fact, seems somewhat relieved when Kasuga denies having any Valentine's Day plans. She's even kind of sly about asking him if he's got something going on with Shikaru that day. She's like, oh, well, maybe you have plans. No, 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 I don't have plans. I mean, she's really kind of sneaky about how she probes to see if he's going to be free, but she's relieved she's pleased to hear that he's going to be free he's going to be able to spend the entire day with her i mentioned several episodes back that we're at a point where ayukua really is wanting to do coupley things with kasuga i mean the first several episodes dozen maybe you didn't get the sense that she really wanted to do these like coupley things the these boyfriend girlfriend type of activities but there was somewhere in the mid thirties where we started to see that she really wants to have these. It's kind of cute. It's kind of like these standard adolescent relationship experiences. And she seems like such a badass at the beginning of the show. She seems like the type of person that would never be interested in that. And uh, there's a uh, deliberation in early episodes about how Kasuga is so far behind her in, in terms of maturity. She's just this super mature person who's so well beyond him. But what we're seeing as we get to know the character better is that there is so much about the adolescent, the teenage experience that Ayukua really is interested in. And I think that's something important about an episode like this that might otherwise seem kind of throwaway, but it shows us that Ayukua wants to do these things. She wants to have this kind of standard teenage experience and that she wants it with Kasuga. It's really pretty cute, and I think it's part of the more subtle characterization that occurs in this show. Now, she gives him a red scarf. I can't imagine that the color was was picked at random. It matches perfectly the hat. So it, it continues that thread of symbolism, that red color. It's Valentine's Day. She gives him this red scarf. And again, it's a symbolic gesture. I mean, she was wearing the scarf. I mean, it's really symbolic. She had to take it off of her. It makes the act of putting it on Kasuga so much more intimate. It undoubtedly smells like Ayukawa. And she even looks back at him and smiles before heading inside. And this is kind of a big gesture. It's kind of a meaningful gesture here. And the next scene 
It's obvious that it worked. Casca is still wearing the scarf. He ain't going to take that bitch off to shower, shave, shit, nothing. He's wearing that scarf. They're going to bury him in that scarf. That's how committed to wearing that scarf he is. He gets the idea of the gesture. I mean, it's not lost on him. Plus, did I mention, the scarf probably smells like Ayukawa. He's no doubt enjoying that. Kasuga's still enjoying his bliss. He's got a date with Ayukawa on Valentine's Day. Even amongst his wild family shit, Takashi's yelling at Kazuya in the background. Kazuya's screaming and running away, and, and, and there's shit flying. People are throwing things. Maybe people are levitating things with the ESP power. And as all of this wild stuff is going on in the background, Kasuga's still sitting there. He's got his eyes closed. He's sniffing his tea. I mean, even as objects are flying across the screen, Kasuga doesn't react. He's in heaven. He's clearly thinking about spending that time with Ayukua. And Kazuya trashes the place. He's stolen chocolate from the twins. He got the rest of it all over them and Takashi and the kitchen. It's everywhere. He's really being a big pain in the ass. And with that, we get another body swap episode. Kazuya once again swaps bodies with Kasuga for his own ulterior motives. Kazuya, of course, wants to avoid the dentist at all costs. Kazuya, as Kasuga, once they've switched, he says it himself. He doesn't brush his teeth after eating sweets. For some reason, despite his family having full and complete knowledge of the power and having experienced body swapping in the past, Kasuga is still somehow unable to explain to them that he and Kazuya just switched bodies, against his will, I might add. And we cut to Yusaku. He seems to be very happy. He's making chocolates with Shikaru. We get a cutaway of Yusaku imagining Shikaru giving him a smaller chocolate heart than the one that he's helping her make. And he imagines them in some kind of igloo or something. I guess it's appropriate for the season. As with many imaginary cutaway scenes in Orange Road, we see a soft focus across the imagery of the screen. So the mise-en-scene is telling us, and we also hear an echo effect, a subtle echo effect on the dialogue. So the mise-en-scene and the audio is telling us that we're not witnessing anything that's actually happening. We're only seeing inside of Yusaku's head, which is kind of a rare event in the show. We don't usually get to see the inside of his head. Now, I think he's really happy because he knows that he's going to get to give Kasuga a chocolate vicariously through Shikaru. He knows that he could never, not in this day and age, not with the carefully constructed persona of machismo that he's crafted for himself, he can't give Kasuga a chocolate, but he can help Shikaru to make one and then giving it to Kasuga, it's like it's from him, because he helped make it. You might have noticed that darling is misspelled on the chocolate. The chocolate's supposed to say, I love my darling, but it's misspelled as daring. It's basically darling minus the L, D-A-R-I-N-G. I have a feeling that this is a phonetic issue resulting in a goof by the animators rather than an intentional misspelling as a comment on Shikaru's mastery of English. There's not really enough going on in this episode to give you that context that maybe it's a comment on Shikaru's spelling or her intellect. It's really, it's probably a phonetic issue. They just they forgot the L. So uh, hit pause if you're rewatching. Check out the chocolate. It says, I love my daring. Now, interestingly, we get a cut back to Yusaku's igloo. We go back into his fantasy when he realizes that the chocolate is for Kasuga. We see him sitting alone in his igloo before it comes 
crashing down on him. The igloo just collapses and buries him in the snow. And it's a visual metaphor for his disappointment. He's being let down. Ayukawa has kind of a Kasuga-like moment when she's bullshitting Master about the chocolates in the next scene. I mean, is there any doubt that she's making these with Kasuga in mind? Despite her denial, it's pretty obvious what Ayukawa is doing here, and it's meant to be obvious to the audience what Ayukawa is doing here. Master spells it out for us, but we may not have needed that. We cut to Kasuga's Kazuya. He is at the dentist now, and he is strapped down with some dungeon-looking shit in that dentist chair. It looks like something that the Z-Gang would wear in Fist of the North Star. Bill Murray from Little Shop of Horrors would be thinking that that's his kind of dentist. I doubt it's an overt reference to any other film or media property like Fist of the North Star, but is there any point in chaining the guy down if he can teleport? I guess they don't know that at the dentist's office. Maybe that's just standard practice for any patient younger than 10. Let's strap them down like it's a medieval torture device. And I loved the fact that because this is a Valentine's Day episode, of course, the lady dentist wants to bang Takashi. And I don't think I cared as much when I was watching this show at 14 years old. But now that I'm older, now that I'm a dad, I'm really kind of intrigued by what Takashi's experience must have been like raising these ESP kids as a single father. I would have loved to have seen more into Takashi's life like this. This is really one of the only scenes where we get to see any kind of anything going on with Takashi outside of his scenes with his kids. He has a function in this show, but it's it's not to entertain the audience by hooking up with old flames. Now, there is an overt reference to another film here. Takashi off the cuff mentions a Kramer versus Kramer situation. It's a reference to him being a single dad with a young boy. It's a reference to the 1979 film Kramer versus Kramer, which kind of had a similar motif. The dad gets stuck with the young son after the mom leaves, and um, he's got to kind of adjust to being that type of dad too, the single dad who takes kids to the park and the dentist and stuff like that. So I think he's making an oblique reference to Dustin Hoffman's situation in Kramer versus Kramer. And again, it's another reference to a Dustin Hoffman film in episode 11. We had a reference to the graduate, which is a Dustin Hoffman film. And here we have a reference to Kramer versus Kramer, which is another big one for Dustin Hoffman. I believe he won an Academy award for that. So it's a a very well-known film. It came out in 79. So by 1987, 88, when this show was being produced, it would have been well-known internationally. It did very well in the United States, and I'm not sure how well it performed in Japan, but clearly there is a knowledge of that film that it's not necessarily needed to enjoy this episode, but certainly gives an idea of how Takashi is feeling about being solo with Kazuya at this time. It's also kind of funny when it dawns on Kasuga that his dad wanted to interact with the dentist like this was good for him. He was pretending like Kazi is such a pain in the ass. That he's got to take him to the dentist. But but now that Kasuga is along for the ride and Kazi is body, he's realizing, like, wait, this is dad is making this work for him. And he's a little grossed out, too. Like he doesn't want to be involved in his dad's romances. But Takashi and the dentist seem to go way back, possibly even before Takashi married uh, Kasuga's mom. So 
it made me wonder, like, how do they know each other? How long have they known each other? They talk about like college, like way back in the day, they knew each other long ago, but this is supposed to be a new town that they just moved to, right? I mean, they moved to this town for the sake of anonymity. I mean, how is it populated with Takashi's old flames? I mean, I guess it's just kind of a small world thing. It's plausible that Takashi's not the only person who would have moved to this town from elsewhere. So maybe he looked her up. I mean, there's no Facebook back then for him to keep tabs on old girlfriends. So I don't know how he knew that she was a dentist there that day unless they had somehow kept in touch some other way besides email and Facebook and social media. Now, Kasuga's Kazuya teleports home. It's a fun cut because we cut to Jingaro resting and in teleports Kasuga and Kazuya's body. And he begins to speak to Jingaro before he starts to slide and fall. And then we get a cut back, a reveal, to show us that Jingaro was lounging on the roof and Kasuga just teleported into the roof. Of course, he's going to start to slide off it. But it's very Looney Tunes in the sense, too, that it's similar to when Wiley Coyote would run off of a cliff and he wouldn't fall until he looked down. And it was a similar effect to the the cut backwards. We see him start to slide off the roof as soon as we all realize he's on the roof. Next, we see Kazuya and Kasuga's body absconding with the idiots Hata and Komatsu to go steal chocolate from school, which is kind of weird. I mean, they seem to get in and out of school fairly easily on a Sunday. Also, why would the chocolates be there when school isn't in session? I mean, wouldn't it make sense to give the chocolates in person or maybe give the obligation chocolate the next day when you're at school the day after valentine's day it just seems kind of weird it seems like you would have to go to school the morning of valentine's day to drop off the chocolate so it would be there the next day but you're going to be there the next day anyway not why not just take the chocolate with you and, and give it to people then it doesn't make any sense but don't ask these questions it's orange road I think it's really just meant to be humorous. The guys who steal the chocolate in the first place are then mortified when Kazuya as Kasuga eats them so casually. And it also foreshadows the significance of these chocolates, which is obviously lost on Kazuya. Kazuya only appreciates the hedonic qualities of the sweets, which is why he's so oblivious to Shikaru's response when she sees that he's been eating chocolate that day that's not hers. And we get a really kind of weird and wild Umau and Ushko cameo. They appear as bodybuilders, even as they deliver their typical lines. They're flexing and posing in a way that's pretty standard for bodybuilders. Of course, they're both wearing bodybuilding trunks, not covering up very much, despite everybody else wearing jackets and scarves. Umau leaps out of a pile of Valentine's Day chocolates with some of them still stuffed down the front of his briefs. I can't imagine you'd want to eat those afterward. Maybe Ushko does. I don't know. I don't know what they're into. They're into some weird stuff. I think if we've learned anything about Uma and Ushko, they made love inside a Christmas tree while dressed as human-sized Christmas ornaments. They're into some weird stuff. I think we can say that. We're not judging them. I'm not judging them, but they're into some weird stuff. But what does the bodybuilding thing have to do at all with Valentine's Day? That makes no sense except that he jumped out of a pile of Valentine's Day chocolates. That's the only connection. And then as they're embracing, they sneeze as if someone's talking about them. It's really kind of a weird appearance for them. It doesn't go with the episode perfectly, except for the fact that Umau jumps out of 
a pile of Valentine's chocolates. Otherwise, somebody just felt like animating them as bodybuilders flexing and, and yelling at each other. And it's just wild. Total non sequitur. I loved in this episode, Kazuya as Kasuga not catching Shikaru as he typically would. She just kind of goes sailing past him. You know, she jumps expecting him to catch her and he doesn't know he's supposed to, I guess. And she just sails across the screen, you know, left to right. And you hear her continue to go even as she's off screen. You hear the sound as she kind of lands on her ass. It's pretty funny stuff. And for all of his concern over Shikaru in the previous episode, I'm thinking, what the f***, Kazuya? I mean, last week, Kazuya really seemed to understand the older kids pretty well. And he had a lot of compassion for Shikaru in that episode. But then today, he's again characterized as oblivious to the concerns of older people. He doesn't get these older relationships. He doesn't understand the nuances. And he doesn't know he's supposed to catch her. So he just lets her go sailing. It's a different Kazuya. I mean, I think last week we really got a very different and very uncharacteristic characterization of Kazuya. He's back in his typical characterization. And Shikaru can tell that Kasuga is not himself. Literally, she can tell that there is another person inside of Kasuga's body right now. And she may not be the best at spelling darling. She may not even completely know what's going on with Ayukawa and Kasuga. At least that's my belief. But here she does seem pretty intuitive. She's not as oblivious as she would lead us to believe, at least not here. Because she notices that the person she's talking to is not Casca. He's not himself today. And she doesn't realize that she means that literally, but she's literally correct. He is not himself. He is someone else today. Of course, Kazuya as Casca, he's oblivious. He admits to having eaten the chocolates, which Shikaru assumes to have been Valentine's Day gifts from other girls. Her suspicions seem confirmed when Kazuya drops all of the Valentine's Day chocolate and they all hit the ground. I guess he couldn't lie about them being obligation chocolates at that point. And Komatsu and Hata show a very atypical, uncharacteristic sense of shame. And they start to slink away before things get really ugly. I think it's more like them to try to videotape the whole thing and then post it at school. These guys, they'd get a job at TMZ so easy. Now, Kazuya continues to seem oblivious. This is despite his earlier characterization in the last episode as being very savvy. At the very least, he ought to be able to read her mind. And I love, I love Yusaku's warm-up for beating the shit out of Kasuga. I love the idea of smashing something really hard with your own face. I would piss myself if that guy wanted to fight me after that. We see Ayukua writing the kanji for Kasuga Kyosuke as she's sitting in Abakabu. He's very clearly on her mind. She's a little miffled that he's not there. She was clearly wanting to share the day with him. I don't know how much help she really needed. She's sitting there. Doesn't look like she's super busy with customers. But there's something so pure and sweet about wanting to spend the Valentine's Day holiday with your person. I think it's subtle touches like these scenes that make Ayukua such a thoroughly beloved and thoroughly well-realized character. She's sitting there writing his name. She's thinking about him. She's wishing he was there. But then they get a pile of like 100 fucking dirty plates, and I don't see not one customer in that bitch. I don't know where all those dirty plates came from, but I didn't see anybody there, and Aika was just sitting there lounging. 
The purpose of the dirty dishes is to give us some close shots of the the filth, and it directs our focus to the work that Ayukawa will now have to do alone. But that's a misdirection, because Ayukawa doesn't seem like the work is troubling her. She's missing Kasuga, and she was missing him before the giant pile of dishes showed up. Now, why Kasuga as Kazuya tells Ayukawa that Kasuga is probably with Shikaru is completely beyond me because that does not seem like a good lie. That just seems like it's going to piss Ayukua off all the more that he blew her off to go be with his other girlfriend. But I do think that Shikaru's slow motion run toward Ayukua was some kind of genius. Like they complete this back and forth of dialogue. She actually gets a few sentences out as she's running across what looks like maybe 20 to 25 feet it would only be a couple of seconds, but they they draw this moment out kind of comically by cutting to Ayukawa and then cutting back to Shikaru and she's still running towards Ayukawa. And and so what really should have only been a couple of seconds, they they sort of draw out pretty comically so that when she does finally crash and, and destroy everything, her slow motion uh, dive just sends all the plates and all the filth flying and it necessitates that they have to go clean up, of course. So it's a it's a necessary bit because it gets them back to Ayukawa's to clean up. But it's also pretty funny the way they stretch that out. Interestingly, Shikaru is humming Furimuite, my darling, as she irons Kazuya's shirt. That's like her song, Look Back, My Darling. That's the song that's about her wanting her boyfriend to pay attention to her, to look at her in that romantic light, to think of her in that way. So it's appropriate that she would be humming it. And we get a bit of a fake out here where Kasuga as Kazuya imagines himself getting into the shower with Ayukua, but it's only a fantasy. It was only in his head. Unlike the previous scene with Yusaku's igloo fantasy, we don't see an echo effect. And the room was steamy enough that uh, any soft focus wouldn't be noticed. It was a shower scene, so we would expect there to be some fog in the room. It's full of steam. They didn't want to make it stylistically different like they did with Yusaku's previous cutaway because they needed it to function as a fake out. Like, oh my gosh, she actually brought him in the shower with her and we're supposed to be thinking, holy shit, what next? Psych! Reality versus expectations hits Kasuga next as he is then stripped down and seen fully nude. In a scene that kind of masterfully captures Kasuga's embarrassment, even though he's inside Kazuya's body, I mean, he's still stripped down to the nude, and it couldn't be more different than Kasuga's fantasy just a moment earlier. He imagines this intimate shower scene, and it's sexy and Ayukawa is directing everything and being very mature and in reality Shikaru is freaking out it's the first penis she's ever seen and she's just I don't know they don't I guess they didn't do sex ed yet but she's only heightening his sense of embarrassment by overly scrutinizing Kazuya's penis and then the way she reacts to it it just mortifies him. It's the complete opposite of how cool and mature Ayukawa was a moment earlier in the fantasy. And now that he's in Kazuya's body, Kasuga finally gets to hear these two girls talking about him. And unfortunately, it's not good. Here they vow to really hold Kasuga accountable. So he's got to be sweating bullets as Kazuya. Now, even after vowing not to forgive him, 
the girls are practically begging for him to offer an apology so they can resume their usual adoration of him. As soon as Kazuya's Kasuga announces his arrival, Hishikaru is like calling out to him and waving to him from the upper floor. Ayukawa has to remind her that she's supposed to be mad at him. Ayukawa has to reel Hishikaru back in. And as soon as Kazuya's Kasuga enters, Ayukawa reminds him, don't you have something to say to us? She's looking for an apology too. Hishikaru feeds him the apology that she wants to hear. All he has to do is repeat after her and she promises to forgive him just like that. Then, because Kazuya is oblivious, of course, he reverses the blame on Shikaru, and it f***ing works. He just tells her, nah, it's your fault. And she starts crying and apologizing, clinging to him. Jesus, that poor girl. I feel so bad for her in this sense. She could get gaslit so easily. Now, Ayukawa notices the damage to her scarf, and she points it out. She's kind of enraged, which causes Shikaru to note that Kasuga is wearing Ayukawa's scarf. That ought to clue her in, but they don't go anywhere with that. They don't pick that thread back up. They don't do anything with that. But Aiko was very open in that moment that she gave Kasuga a red scarf for Valentine's Day. That ought to be way worse than Kasuga eating some chocolates that he got. But Shikaru notices and never mentions it again. Maybe this is the moment where she really puts two and two together in preparation for Anohi. Either way, Shikaru has finally had enough. She goes full WWE on Kazuya's Kasuga. She even apologizes as she's grabbing him to throw him over her shoulders, and then she twirls him overhead so fast that they actually animate him as a tornado with eyes. This is very Looney Tunes-esque. He's just this tornado-shaped blur, but with eyes, looking freaked out. And it's very expressive, but not at all realistic. It's a useful abstraction. It communicates the experience that we're witnessing, but it doesn't show it in a very documentary-like way. By abstracting it in such a cartoonish way, it actually helps to make the violence more palatable. It makes it funny. It makes it weird-looking. Then we laugh. We don't think, oh my God, you're going to break poor Kasuga's skull, and it's been Kazuya inside his body the whole time screwing up. Who cares that Shikaru is beating the shit out of Kasuga? It's funny. And you don't expect any real injury to result either from such a cartoonish and funny abstraction of violence. And even Ayukawa here isn't sure if Shikaru is going too far. She's watching this violence unfold and she's a little taken aback. Like she wouldn't have been that harsh to Kasuga. Now they cut to Shikaru walking out of the room and she pauses for a moment. She kind of sniffles a little bit. She looks forlorn. And that tells us that she didn't enjoy dishing out that punishment to Kasuga. It was more like she was doing her duty. Now, a weaker script might have seen her celebrating giving Kasuga his comeuppance and reveling in her physical domination of him, but making her remorseful was a little bit of a masterstroke at showing this subtle maturity to her. There was no joy in that exchange for her. We cut back inside to see Kazuya and Kasuga, and they're returned to their own bodies again, apparently. Shikaru dropped Kasuga's body on top of Kazuya's. I, I, I'm thinking, like, what the f*** did Kasuga's Kazuya do wrong? He just He's just standing in the way, I guess. They had to clobber him, too. Kasuga has to suffer for our amusement as well. And also, we got to show Kazuya's tooth falling out so that we get this full circle 
satisfactory ending. We don't want to leave any of these plot lines unfulfilled, except for the damned scarf one, and she got her noticing. Thought I was going to forget that one, didn't you, Terada Kenji? Kasuga is, of course, forced to atone for Kazuya's doing. Kazuya got Kasuga into this mess, and now Kasuga is the one who's got to work his way out, literally, as he mops. It's a really an all's well that ends well type of conclusion, because just as Kasuga is feeling sorry for himself, as he sometimes does, he's being a little mopish, Ayukua gives Kasuga a hot chocolate, and Master comes back in just long enough to reveal that there wasn't supposed to be any hot chocolate served that day. Kind of pokes holes in Ayukua's story a little bit that it was just leftovers. It clearly wasn't just leftovers. It was the only cup of hot chocolate made that day. She specifically made hot chocolate to serve to Kasuga and served it in a red mug, the exact same red color as the scarf, as the hat from episode one. It's an obvious symbol of the actual meaning of the gesture. She still loves him. Ayukua looks on as Kasuga drinks, seemingly very pleased, not because Kasuga is contrite or because he got bounced on his head by Shikaru earlier, but she finally got to give him some chocolate after all. Even in a subtle way, she got to show her feelings for him. As with their first body swap, this episode is all about Kasuga experiencing how it feels to be a child and have no control over your own life. When it's time to go to the dentist and get your tooth pulled, it's time to go to the dentist and get your tooth pulled. When somebody yanks your pants off to wash them, then I'm sorry, everybody gets to see your dick. It kind of sucks to be a kid in that sense that you really got no control over even your own nudity. Like, who are you flashing your genitals to? It's not for you to control. Also, it shows Kazuya having bad experiences as an older person, despite seeming to have gotten the better of Kasuga at the beginning. They're obviously meant to appreciate their own positions a little bit more after the swap, as if they've learned that they wouldn't want to be each other after walking a mile in the other one's shoes. But there's a bit of comeuppance in Kazuya trying to escape the pain of the dentist by making Kasuga experience it for him, only to suffer on Kasuga's behalf after pissing off Shikaru and Ayukua. He is the one who gets twirled around and body slammed at the end of the episode, after all. But the body swap has been done before to a very similar effect. So there's really nothing new here. When I was reading the manga years back, I always got the impression that because it was so long, there were so many chapters, that uh, things like body swapping or time slipping were fairly easy go-tos for an idea that week. And I sort of get that feeling a little bit here. It's not like Orange Road to leave a good idea on the table. They don't even leave the bad ideas on the table. But it's also a return to a fairly standard narrative technique for Orange Road, as well as very standard mise-en-scene, use of color, and that cartoonish, abstracted action. It's a light confection. It's well-suited to a Valentine's Day episode. And if you feel like doing something sweet for yours truly, I would love to encourage you to please head on over to patreon.com slash There, you can become a patron of Team Almy Studios, the studio who brings you this fine podcast, amongst others. When you become a patron, I will send you stuff. You get stuff from me, no matter where you live on this world. I have sent out to everyone, all of my current patrons, as a thank you, 
with my compliments. I have sent a nice Valentine's Day gift to everyone. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but everybody be on the lookout as you listen to this. I have most likely already mailed them, but probably they haven't shown up yet. But be on the lookout for some gifts from me. I just had something made that I thought was pretty cool. And if you join our Patreon, you will get cool stuff too. I've got some left. I will send them to you as supplies last. Also, please check out Creatures of the Night podcast. That is my other podcast that I do with a couple of friends. And we just talk crazy shit on the internet about aliens and Bigfoot being an interdimensional time traveler and possibly also D.B. Cooper. It's a really silly show. We do it for fun. It's not political, I promise. Uh, Please check us out. I'll put a link to that show in the show notes for today's episode. I want to say thank you again to my patrons. I do appreciate you very much. I hope your gifts arrive sooner than you like them. Um, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode. If you listen to this episode, I really, really appreciate everybody who presses play on this program. It's really been pretty incredible uh, to talk to all of you who have listened to this. And I, I really, really do appreciate it. I don't want you to think that I take that for granted. Your listens are very, very important and valuable to me. And so I will leave you with a fun remix of some Orange Road music. And I will say thank you again and see you next week. Let's go.